0: From Relay FM, this is Downstream, a podcast about the present and future of streaming media. This is episode number 37, recorded February the 9th, 2023. I'm your master of ceremonies, Jason Snell. I'm joined as always by our director of strategy, Julia Alexander. Hi, Julia. Hi, Jason. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I have a head cold, so our mm. lovely
1: listeners will be able to hear it in my voice, but otherwise, I'm okay.
0: One thing about being a, a professional writer is nobody knew when I was sick. <laughs> Uh, being a podcaster, everybody knows when you've got like something in your throat, it's a different kind of thing. Um, you know, so we're recording this a couple of days late because of scheduling reasons. And it's funny because th- the news keeps happening so fast and furious that, uh, I added items <laughs> in the last two days. We added two <laughs> items to our, our, uh, show document. We'll try to get to as much of it as we can, but I wanted to start with the Disney results, the Disney results came in. And again, this is not a financial podcast. We're not offering any investment advice, but we do talk about the future of streaming media and Disney's a big player in that. Um, And I'm curious what your takeaways were from Bob Iger's first results back in charge. The big one that, that I noticed is that they announced that they're going to restructure. And not only are they putting sort of their... Uh, Their content and distribution teams together on the one side, but also they're separating out ESPN, which doesn't mean they're going to sell it, but it means they could.
1: Yeah, it's. Interesting because on the one hand they could have sold tickets to this this earnings call <laughs> the amount of interest that was that was in Bob Iger's miraculous return to uh, the throne, but I I, I wrote a, a piece for Puck actually the day before with Disney earnings and I said the focus of the next year is going to be capital efficiency right is this idea that for every dollar they're putting in they should be getting at least a dollar out um, as opposed to the way that a lot of companies have been operating with streaming which is put a dollar in and lose about ten dollars. <laughs> uh, in order to kind of build this, the, these services. And when I was listening to Bob Iger talk, one, the first thing that struck me, Jason, you pointed this out months ago on the podcast, was the reorganization feels very likely because it, we, they took away a lot of power from a lot of the creative executives and it led to a lot of unhappiness at the creative ranks. And if you have unhappy people who cannot manage their Profit and losses, you get a lot of business quandaries that come up. So, on the one hand, the reorganization made a ton of sense to me um, by putting the fiscal responsibility back in the hands of the creatives. But I thought what was most point uh, was most pointed, and what was most important was his acknowledgement that what we are doing in the general entertainment space, what we're the lack of curation, the overspending just to compete does not make much sense anymore, which is something that I and many other analysts have been saying for a very, very long time, Michael Nathanson being one of them. You cannot just keep spending in hopes that eventually the profit margins will reach what linear is, and you, can, you can't you can ignore linear. And so I think when Bob Iger comes out and says, we are a streaming first company, but also we do well theatrically, we still have a strong linear business. We are going to take a content budget cut, but we are not going to... Uh, uh, uh take up content budget cut on the sports level. I think all these things are make a ton of sense to anyone who's been following the space really closely. And I think the last kind of big question mark hovering over Disney at this point in time is what do you do with Hulu? If you have a really hard time curating general entertainment and hulu is your general entertainment platform whose titles are not necessarily potentially seeing the type of success that we might hope for the vast majority of hulu titles do you keep a hold of that platform and the subscribers but really cut down on the amount of general content that you are putting onto that platform which decreases the value of, of hulu as a whole or do you sell it but take all your, all your 20th century Fox, all your Disney general entertainment content off of Hulu, which vastly lowers the price of that platform because it's no longer as valuable. And you sell it to Comcast, which Comcast would get it for a deal and they can just take all the subscribers and throw them into Peacock or vice versa. And all of a sudden you've got a really strong competitive streaming service in the United States. And I think that's going to be a challenge that Disney has to overcome on top of the fact that even at the Disney Plus level, when we look at types of content like star wars and marvel the issue that disney runs into is most of those shows run a 100 million dollars per season and you don't need to have four five star wars shows in one year I, i wrote this in puck the difference in churn or customer acquisition between having two star wars shows and four star wars shows is actually not that great within that main base and to expand outside that base it's not more star wars or more marvel it is more general entertainment like the stuff that we do see on hulu but at a very curated level so i think there is this moment coming up for disney that wants to be a streaming first company but has all of this excess content that it, it inherited with the fox acquisition that it has spent billions of dollars on the last three years trying to make um and and really needing to determine okay well how do we continue growing in our UK market and how do we approach global content to in order to remain a, a key global player and it's it's tough
0: yeah, I, I have some thoughts about Hulu, a wild, wild ideas about Hulu that you just touched on there, but I kind of want to save it for when we talk about Peacock a little bit, because you also wrote about Peacock, but staying on uh, directly on Disney right now. What do you think about the ESPN thing, right? Like, I mean, uh, there's been a lot of pressure from some quarters for them to sell ESPN, and yet on other quarters, ESPN is actually just a, it's got a lot of advantages too, Um It feels to me like what Bob Iger is doing is saying, look, it makes sense for ESPN to be kind of on its own and it gives us options. And I I don't feel like this is him sending a message either way, but just sort of saying it makes sense and it gives us options. So why would we not do it?
1: I'm actually very curious to get your opinion on this, because like this would where we'd be. We'd insert the sirens and we'd be sports corner. But uh, but (laughs) I. (laughs) You are the guy that I know. I want to hear your opinion on what you think of ESPN as a kind of an OTT service. I, uh,
0: I mean, I think they, I think they need to do it, and I know that they're going to take a hit. I, they or somebody, right? Like I think the ESPN has so much value. I, it's funny. I got a, um, I got a survey from ESPN Plus the other day saying, "Hey, as an ESPN Plus <laughs> subscriber, we want to hear from you." And the number one question was, on a scale from one to ten. Would you recommend this service to others? And I put down five or four, something like that. And and they said, now tell us why. And I said, I can't recommend this service to others because it's so hard to explain what it is because it's not ESPN. And that's how I feel about it. It's like they got to they got to offer. I know that they make a huge amount of money, although it's rapidly decreasing from the cable bundle. But there are so many people out there who don't have the cable bundle anymore, and it doesn't matter whether they want ESPN or not; they don't have the cable bundle. And I do feel like at some point, somebody, whoever is the steward of ESPN, is going to have to make a a, a product that is real ESPN that you can buy and stream without being in a in a in a cable bundle. Essentially, I, I feel like that. And and why would that not just be ESPN? plus i mean or or at least have a combination of those things because not everybody is a cord cutter some people might want the extra stuff but i think espn plus as it is now is just like it's not quite all there right and and there are if you've got cable and you've got espn plus you can make it work although it's still very confusing um but if you don't have cable then you're you a cord cutter and you're like, well, I want my ESPN. You can buy ESPN Plus, but you still won't get your ESPN. And, and I think that that they they have to, um, not lose that audience, um, even though they're they're making so much money out of the uh, the cable audience. So I feel like they have to they have to get there, and that there's an interesting product there. But you know, it's it's the story of the last five or ten years with all of right. these traditional companies, which is that the. the It's the it's the ultimate innovators dilemma kind of approach where you're making so much money from the thing that is going to die and is dying rapidly that it's hard to turn to what's new, even though, you know, the thing that you're making money from is dying. And it's just and everybody knows it. I feel like if any company could make that bold step it is disney and they have primed the pump with espn plus because i actually think the stuff that's on espn plus is great i was watching some of it last night i was watching the tom brady documentary which say what you will about tom brady it's a hell of a documentary um and the peyton manning stuff is really great yeah. and there's some niche sports on there i watched a little bit of cricket uh, last night uh, i was feeling in the mood for that uh, that was great shout out to steven schepanski our editor who loves cricket um and uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's. I think I think they got to take that step. And the question, I guess, is: Is Bob Iger going to take that step, or is Bob Iger going to take ESPN and and say, "Does anybody want to anybody want this?"
1: <laughs> I it, what's what's interesting. I think you hit two nails on the head, com- like completely accurate. One is that. Actual ESPN OTT would actually make ESPN plus an accurate name, right? Right now it is not yeah. ESPN plus. It is basically what if ESPN, but not, uh, like that's yeah, really it, what it should be called. It's
0: ESPN. It's supplemental, but it doesn't include, it, it's hard to have a plus that doesn't include the original, right? Right.
1: Right. Exactly. It's ESPN minus at this point. And, uh, I, I, so I think on the one hand, exactly they need to have actual ESPN. And I, I pointed this out on Twitter yesterday. Um, there's a really great, Sometimes you just get really great juxtapositions in earnings reports that just sum up everything. And there was one point in the earnings report where Disney's outlining its linear revenue and expense and then uh, the DTC revenue and expense. And when you look at it, the linear profit is still pretty substantial for disney yeah. but it's down five percent i think it was year over year mm-hmm. um yep. and then if you look at the dtc the direct consumer the revenue was up 13 percent, but it was a loss of a billion dollars right because they still are losing money on it and i think to jason's point that is the exact issue it is like we are still making money on this but we are declining by single digits and it will eventually be double digits with every single year and we are making more money in streaming but we are nowhere near profitable right. now disney is saying That by 2024 they will still achieve uh, streaming profitability. This will come from two different factor factions. Uh, On the one hand, they will decrease spending in content budget. They will and they are laying off 7,000 jobs, so they're decreasing. Um, labor, this is how you kind of widen your operate your your profit margins by going in one way. Uh, and on the other way, they're they're looking at um kind of taking away the free trials. They're looking at kind of what potentially sounds like a price increase, although they didn't say those exact words in order to kind of generate stronger average revenue per user. We saw a loss in ARPU over this quarter in part due to the bundling of services, right? People are buying into the bundle, which is great for churn, but because they're buying in, they have a lower ARPU, which if listeners remember was a conversation Jason and I had many months ago about how we don't know what the ARPU for that bundle is. And it seems like it's much lower than what you're going to get if you just sign up for Hulu or Disney Plus, which is another concern. I imagine if you are Bob Iger and the only way to address that is through price increases, but also it's a very competitive market. Um, This is tangentially related to that, but I thought it was very interesting Netflix outlining their password crackdown and in, uh, in in what in the outline they specifically said we understand that there is more competition than ever we understand you have more options to go places and then very quickly said but we are going to charge per household. Like yeah. <laughs> we are, we we are going to do this. Like there's, you, if you want Netflix, you're going to have to buy it. Um, and I thought that was kind of a great summary moment of like, this is where we are. Like it's, Netflix is saying, yeah. we get it. You have options, but we're going to do this. Uh, and there's no way around that. And I think Disney is going to be in a very similar position because they have the type of demand that allows them to say, we're going to charge more and people are probably going to stick around. Um, but in terms of ESPN, It's it's that race to the cliff that I keep talking about. It is like you are hopeful that by the time your car gets to the edge of the cliff, the profit from streaming is at a point where you can continue flying, where you can continue soaring, right? You're hoping that by the time it gets to the end of that runway, it is like you're good to go for takeoff. Because if not, if you get to the edge of the cliff, if you get to the end of the runway, and linear is still your prime profit margin, and and and, uh, sorry, prime profit sector, and streaming is not doing that, and you still need to go off the cliff. Like you, you, there's no way around it. You gotta go. Now you're in a really, really tough position that looks at a lot of different cost cutting at a much more, uh, uh, scary rate. And so I think ESPN is kind of this thing where they, they know that they want to do OTT. Bob Iger talked about ESPN as OTT like three, four years ago. Like this is something he's, hi- hi- oh, he's yeah. hyper aware of. I do think there's a really interesting conversation to be had about. Like, if you were to sell off ESPN, which he's not going to do, he very specifically was like, we're not selling off ESPN. We looked at that in the, in, in under Chapek and it just didn't make a ton of sense. But there's an argument to be made that if you're going to maintain Hulu and you keep ESPN, like you, there's, there's an argument to kick a lot of the NBC and Paramount stuff out of that kind of Hulu with live TV, which decreases the value of Hulu with live TV, but also is kind of a kick to the competitors who are in the, Cable bundle still are in the MPPD bundle still and are now also double dipping within Paramount Plus and Peacock and I think if you're looking at streaming as a future and that's kind of your competitor base, what do you do with your two major competitors who are almost triple dipping in all of these different Mm. revenue cycles and also building up their streaming platforms? It's an interesting question. ESPN is kind of key to that because it's kind of key to what you do with some of the major sports leagues going forward if you go OTT.
0: So, ESPN. Um, if, if we walk through what the scenario is for like ESPN doing an over the top service, that's ESPN proper, I think, you know, on, and I'm sure how many thousands of meetings have they had inside Disney about this? Right. Right. Uh, but we're on a podcast, we get to have it outside and people get to listen to it, even though we're not in the room. Um, uh, you know, you, out of the gate, the argument is, okay, we're making what eight bucks per subscriber. On cable, and not all of those people are actually using ESPN. But we get eight bucks per per subscriber. It's a pretty good deal. But if we go direct to consumer, we're going to get whatever we charge. So we're going to get fifteen bucks or twenty bucks, right. which is a lot. But you get a lot because you get all the sports that are on ESPN, and there are right. a, a whole lot of them. Um, although that's one argument is like is subscription fatigue and the idea of of this. But you're you're building an over the top product. This is somebody who's not paying for cable, who's going to get all the sports because they're going to get pay 15 or 20 bucks a month for ESPN. OK, um, then somebody at the other end of the table stands up and says, yeah, but the problem is our partners and cable are not going to take this lying down. Right. If we if we could keep the deal with cable and do this, then we would be okay. But they're going to be mad at us, and they're going to demand that we cut what we're offering. And then what, it, you know? And so you, that gets you closer to that cliff, right? However, and, and I don't know the details of their contracts, which probably is a huge part of this. It's like yes. the, the details with the cable and satellite providers are going to limit when they could make a move like this. I, I think I would argue that if the net result is that the cable and satellite providers can take it or leave it and they can put espn you know they they can include espn or not but i've got over the top as my option and i know that the existence of espn helps people stay on cable it helps retention yep. prevent cord cutting i think i've got the cable companies kind of over a barrel which i already yep. did cuz i'm espn and i'm charging a fortune and they they have to pay it because they know it's retention but now i know that for every person they lose <laughs> I'm just every person they lose who's like, well, I don't, I don't need this. Uh, I'm just going to go get ESPN. Well, I get that customer. I get that customer direct to me with all the money coming to me. And, and I
1: think yeah. ESPN is poised. Uh, interesting, your take on this too, Jason. ESPN. I, I mean, it's got a lot of them actually are well poised to kind of catch a lot of these cable customers who are really just into it for sports and there you hear the argument yeah. a lot and and i think there's kind of like the the hulu conundrum i think there's like pros and cons there's no easy answer for any of this uh but i think you hear a lot of times that people saying well the leagues can now just own that direct consumer relationship they can just sell something to fans and they can really you know uh, double mm-hmm. down on that which you kind of think of like nfl sunday ticket right you're kind of like oh well nfl suns sell sunday ticket except that the more that the league's partner with the streaming platforms and especially the tech giants who are willing to pay kind of three times what it's worth in order to have a slice of the pie, the less valuable buying something directly from the leagues becomes because you if you if, if NFL Sunday ticket doesn't include, you know, uh a certain games that are available on certain platforms, or if they spread out more games to Monday and Thursday and Saturday or whatever it might be, the more that they kind of take those games away, the less valuable that direct-to-consumer relationship becomes. And I imagine even if you're the NFL, you're not gonna create a package that then And takes away from the big media spenders who are saying, well, you're not going to offer this game. We're offering it. We're paying you, you know, $50 billion in order to keep it. And I think there's this really interesting moment happening where if you are ESPN and you can carry a... Slight majority, not even a vast majority, but a slight majority of the most in demand games from the most in demand leagues, as well as niche sports. And that's kind of your plus in the ESPN plus, the niche stuff that really has a a smaller but really hardcore super fan group. Um, there's a really great essay, I forget, by the guy, uh, who wrote it. Jason, you might remember it. it. It was all about super fans. Like, how do you sell to super fans and how do you sell to casual fans and how do you structure your DTC offerings based on this. And he was a tech, he was a former tech guy. I can't remember who, who it was. Um, And he was talking about YouTube kind of specifically, but you, you can now really uh use this analogy for a lot of different streaming services. I think that's where ESPN can really benefit. It's like, you have to be so selective and careful with what you're buying. I think F1 is a great example of like, where can we bring in audiences? Where can we spend money? Where can we get the, the strongest ROI for what we're trying to do? But if you can outpace your competitors at just slightly, then you get to offer the most rewarding sports service. And if you can do that at $35 a month, let's say, then you become the go-to throughout the year, which is much harder for uh, some of the other cable services. I mean, if we think about it, NBC shut down NBC Sports, right? Like, like, they shut down one of their cable networks and then basically moved everything to NBC and then moved everything to Peacock. And now they're kind of doing things on like a on a case-by-case basis. And I think it's smart. I think it's like, we don't need this network. We can convert all of those people to, like, our platform. We can figure out ways that we can generate additional strength from those consumers by bringing them elsewhere. And we can figure that out. And we're not going to take on the expense of a network that's already declining. And that's not ESPN. ESPN, to Jason's point, still very, very, very profitable on linear. Like, it's not something that they're going to walk away from. But I do think they are in a really great position from a brand recognition and from a sports owner sports rights ownership perspective to offer one of the fundamental sports platforms, which means they can charge a little bit extra, but they can probably maintain a pretty strong dedicated super fan group.
0: Yeah, I I kind of see a future where the leagues are probably doing direct to consumer products yes. but carving out non-exclusive rights for for what are essentially, we, you know, we think of bundles and we think of the cable bundle. I would say something like ESPN and potentially things like Peacock and Paramount Plus yeah. are sports bundles, right? The idea there is that I'm not going direct to a league because I'm just a general sports fan and I'm not a super fan, but I am a fan. Yeah, And I know that if I buy ESPN's over the top service, I'm going to get Monday Night Football and I'm going to get some tennis and I'm going to get some golf and I'm going to get some baseball and and that's that's enough right i don't yeah. want to buy i don't want to buy the golf package and the nfl package and the mlb package i i can pay for espn and i get my bundle of you know most of the st- a lot of stuff a lot good enough You know, good enough. And then, if I'm really a super fan, maybe I will go and buy whatever. I I think about like how Apple is doing their MLS package, and uh, you know, obviously they are producing everything, but they are selling games into linear partners too. It's it's that not the idea that it's like we have a direct to consumer product, plus there is a non exclusive set of games that are elsewhere that you can get anywhere because that works to the league's benefit because they want more casual people to be able to watch it and not. You can't create new fans if the only place you can buy it is the direct consumer superfan product. So ESPN might have a future as the replacement for this. Sounds crazy, but the replacement for the cable bundle in a way in that it's the sports bundle that gives you a bunch of different sports rights all all in one place. And I think that there could be value there. Obviously, there will be competition. And if you want to see everything, you may have to buy a bunch of different things. But if you want to see everything, I think maybe there'll be another option, which is that go to, go to the NFL <laughs> or yeah. go to Major League Baseball and just say, I want everything. And then you'll be able to do that there. But if you just want a sampler platter, You could go to ESPN and get it. I think that there, you know, whether how you get there, this is that car going to the cliff again, how you get there and how you time it. That's the problem. That's that's the challenge.
1: It's also so interesting because as we talk about on this podcast, often the value in exclusivity versus non-exclusivity is such a huge deal. This is something that I talk to my clients about all the time. We have a product called Content Valuation at paired Analytics, and we specifically help clients understand the value of their slates or of specific titles and 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 the value of the distribution approach to those titles. And so when we look at these conversations that we have with a lot of our clients, it's like, You can take this exclusively somewhere, and you're going to generate three times what you're going to generate if you go non-exclusive. But if you go non-exclusive, you may be able to retain an audience, or you may be able to double dip in revenue that actually, four years from now, when you're looking at that deal, is actually going to be better for you than just doing an all-at-once, one-off exclusivity kind of deal. And, And this is... The conversation that you, if you are the media buyer with the NFL, this conversation that you're having, right? Same with the NFL, you're kind of saying, okay, well, we can generate much more. Uh, sorry, we can generate much more upfront if we give this, uh, you know, Monday nights to yes to ESPN and Thursdays to Amazon, and they're going to pay for that specifically. Like they're going to pay 10 for ten years. That's what they're going to do. Or if we, the NFL, want to be have a, a stronger relationship with our clients, in part because we don't just want to sell them the rights to the uh, to watch the show, we want to be able to sell them tickets at the stadium and jerseys and other things that are really important to us. And we want to be able to control our advertising inventory. And we want to be able to do all these different things. You can argue, you know, is the demand for having football games worth, let's say, the 50% cut you're going to take by giving Disney rights to Monday Night Football? They're going to stream it, but they get it non-exclusively. So the NFL can also do it. And you might say, well, I don't need ESPN if I'm just using it for football, so I can just go to the NFL. And although you're generating less revenue via ESPN, Maybe with the amount of customers that you're going to pull in Santa Fe, you can just do that. But that's a game of um, modeling, right? That is that is an entire desk of investment bankers working at Disney, trying to figure out right. what the what, what the, the likelihood of those customers coming in means and how you'd have to price it in order to really ensure that you're making stronger profit than you would if you just went with the short-term Disney gets this exclusively Monday. We don't have to worry about it. Like it's, it's on them now. Um, and I think it's, It's fascinating, and this is kind of the heart and soul of the streaming debate. The heart and soul is this game of -of tug-of-war. It's this game of, like do we have enough of a consumer base at the relevant price point to be able to, to carry this ourselves with the additional overhead costs of running a platform of of doing all this, this, this additional stuff in order to maintain that stronger relationship that can help us out beyond just pure viewership, you know, into this whole world of having that relationship and being able to sell them additional stuff and being able to keep that ad inventory. And it's, complicated and no one has the right answer to this yet no not one person has figured this out um and and it's fascinating
0: yeah it's uh there's just so much money involved and it's so complicated and 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 it it is a little bit of a game of chicken and i will we'll we'll keep watching it there's obviously a lot i'm going to move on to some other topics but uh that was a you know we're talking about disney and a sports corner broke out and that's okay with us All right. Let's take a break for a second between topics so I can tell you about our sponsor. This episode of Downstream is brought to you by Snapstream. Does your business rely on making fair use TV recordings in order to get clips in this new age of streaming apps and over the top TV? Hey, that's us. How are your company's jury rigged recording techniques? going to hold up. Whether you need to send proofs to advertisers to make sure you get paid, or you need to build portfolios of talent your agency represents, getting clips of video content is vital to your business. Wouldn't you rather spend your time doing almost anything else than managing manual video recordings? Yes. SnapStream, the definitive live video clipping product, is here to help. SnapStream made its name as the product The Daily Show and other late-night shows used to record, transcribe, search, and quickly repurpose TV clips. And now SnapStream source acquisition service assists companies in capturing hard to get sources of live and on-demand video delivered to your own snapstream cloud instance difficult becomes easy when someone else is doing it for you let snapstream take this one off your hands visit snapstream.com downstream today you'll receive 10 free recording hours when your company signs up for an annual subscription with snapstream source acquisition that's snapstream.com downstream the name of this podcast couldn't be easier go there now check it out thank you to snapstream for their support of this show and relay fm So Warner Brothers Discovery announced something interesting, which is that they're not going to do 100% merger of HBO Max and Discovery Plus. This doesn't mean that Discovery Plus content is not going to go on to HBO Max, but it does mean that Discovery Plus as a standalone entity that costs less than HBO Max is going to continue existing. What do you think about this one? This feels so interesting inevitable. Like when I was writing about the
1: purpose of bundling, like this is my whole argument for Hulu, right? Which is like, here's what this does for consumers at a time of too much choice and saturation. And the thing about Discovery Plus and HBO Max, I was tweeting about this. It is much easier to take the HBO Max consumer base that's already paying $15 and say for $3 more, you're going to get all this additional Discovery content. And even if 10% of HBO Max subscribers don't actually want Discovery content. They'll continue paying the $18 because they want to keep HBO and Warner Brothers and the original things they signed up for. They're super fans of that, and so they'll pay what they're going to pay for it. Also, the HBO audience tends to be a little bit more high income. Like, if you just look at it across the board, that made a ton of sense. The Discovery Plus audience of about 20 I would say about 25 million subscribers. They don't break it out anymore, but the last time they broke it out was last year and it was 22 million. So let's say about 25, 26 million subscribers based on trajectory of how they're growing. Um, that's a niche audience. That audience is paying very little money for access to their favorite Discovery networks and then add-ons to try and charge them twice as much for content that they are not interested in. And you know how they're not interested because you would have seen them move over to HBO Max or you would have seen them having HBO Max. They're not going to do it, especially when Discovery, like they're they're fans of it. But that likely means they're still cable subscribers. Most people I know who have Discovery Plus also have cable. Um, and they just kind of like having the Discovery Plus add-ons that adds on to their favorite channels, whether it's TLC, whether it's HGTV, investigation, discovery, whatever it is. Um, so that that's one and two. The idea that you're going to charge them twice as much when they can get similar content from Netflix and from Hulu, because that's what, and Peacock, and that's what those companies are already making. They're just going to go elsewhere. They don't necessarily need to have that content. By keeping HBO Max and Discovery Plus separate, you're still going to build up your core subscriber bases across both. You can also find reductions in workforce in order to kind of make operating two of those platforms a little bit more uh, e- economically friendly, it, it would be a lot of work and you'd be, you'd probably have some very unhappy, uh, employees. And I'm not recommending it for that reason. But, you know, if you needed to, you could operate on that way. W- w- what I think will inevitably end up happening, this is what I would recommend. We know that they want to launch a fast channel. And by they, I mean Warner Brothers Discovery. What I would do is create a bundle that effectively has these. Plot these, these products as tiers. So you have your your pri- your first first tier is free it's just the fast platform and that has some hbo max programming some discovery plus programming and some some additional programming so that's free then you have an ad supported hbo max discovery plus tier that's all ad supported and it has maybe half of the amount of content that the other ones do but that's what you do and then your top tier is your premium it's ad free it's ad free discovery plus and hbo max and you can use that to really charge significant arpu um but because you're carrying the entire slate over you it, 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 it's a way to kind of up the ARPU for that tier and use the ad supported tiers below it to really generate strong ad revenue. And so I think that is inevitably what will happen because my opinion on this, and I've spoken to clients about this, is that consumers right now want to feel like they're getting the best deal, which often means they feel like they're getting something uh, more for less, which often comes down to I'm getting something for free there's something about this that I'm getting for free within the Disney bundle. It tends to be ESPN Plus or Hulu, and they feel like I'm getting this version for free or for a highly discounted rate, and so therefore I will pay for it. Once they're in that bundle, it is much harder for them to cancel, because if they cancel the whole bundle, then they feel like they got, they got to re-sign up for Disney Plus by itself, and maybe they want a Hulu program, and it's a hassle. And people will go long ways to avoid hassle. You can ask anyone who's tried to cancel cable. It's like they just will huh. deal with it. And I think inevitably, if I'm Warner Brothers Discovery, I create a bundle that does not take away from individual subscriptions, but does create a unified product of sorts across client base that also decreases churn amongst those who might have been at higher risk of churning. And, and I feel like that is inevitably where we are going to go. So I look at this Discovery Plus news, and I'm like, yeah, this always felt like the way to go, because why would you close down a streaming service that has very little overhead costs and that has a pretty dedicated subscriber base um, that has, you know, really nothing too in common with HBO Max. And especially if you can still bring over a lot of that pro- programming to HBO Max without people feeling like they're not getting the best deal out of it. So I, I to me, it's inevitable. But, but what are your thoughts on it?
0: Yeah, I, I think bottom line is what they said, which is there's why take away a product that people want who don't want the other product right and this is we we talked about this in the last segment too and i'm just gonna i'm gonna generalize it here broadly which is we were in an era the the era where everybody decided that they were gonna get they were gonna um start spending a lot of money um and you know this is the era that has ended now and we're in a new era but that era that arms race era One of the features of it was everybody took their ball and went home, right? Everybody was like, what we own is ours. You can't have it. We're going to pull our things off your streaming service. We're going to pull back in and we're going to build these mega things that are going to compete with Netflix that are going to be huge and have everything in it. That was sort of the trend that everybody went through. And we've seen it. You know that that has broken, and it's broken in a bunch of different ways. It's broken mm-hmm. with companies saying we're going to license our stuff to our to Netflix or whoever, and it's not going to be all in our own single silo. But I think this is another example of that where there was this tendency to think what we need to do is build one giant monolithic product. HBO Max and stick everything in it. And now here comes discovery. Let's stick our discovery st- service inside it too. We need it to be as big as possible. And not only does Disney suggest that um, bundles are okay, right? Like Disney has had some success with bundles, but also it, 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 it presumes that you're going to force that you live in an environment where you can force everybody into your giant silo and charge them a lot of money for it. And this move suggests to me that maybe uh, Zaz has accepted the fact that they're, that they don't have one audience who's going to buy one widget and that his discovery plus audience doesn't want HBO max necessarily. And th- Forcing them to get HBO Max is not going to make more money because a lot of them are not going to do it. If you can offer them Discovery Plus on its own, you can keep them as a customer. And I, I exactly, I would be surprised if we didn't see more moves, not necessarily exactly like this, but more moves in this. When we talked about Disney... With this same thing in mind, which is, you know, we're we're playing a game that is not about stuffing everything inside Disney Plus, but it is about sort of like we've got different products and we've got some bundles and we sell some stuff to the competition and work with them, and then in other places we keep the crown jewels to ourselves, and it's it's this new phase that is much more like okay bring the walls down a little bit, bring your ball back into the ball game and say, okay, we can play let's play. Um, And that, that's, that strikes me as being what's going on here. I,
1: I I also feel like we have to address this because it's very funny to me. Um, This is a conversation I have a lot with puck readers. And I said a couple of weeks ago that we are in Zazlav's um, redemption era. I, I, and, and by redemption, I don't mean that he, all of a sudden people who are upset that HBO Max was removing content or whatever is going to be pleased. But in the way that what he and his CFO Gunnar, uh, or Gunnar, uh, have said, which is we are the first, but we are not going to be the last company to have to do a lot of this stuff is, in, is coming true. Right, and it was kind of a lot of this overspending that wasn't rational that you had mm-hmm. people like um John Landgraf, who's the head of FX, uh, analysts like Michael Nathanson saying like, this doesn't make sense. Like it, eventually you're going to have to start paying for this content that you keep buying and, and profit and find a way to profit off it. And when I look at a lot of the stuff that's happening, it's interesting to me because I don't necessarily feel like Zazlab and his team are 100% in the right by any means but I do think there's a rationality that they kind of ushered in or at least were the first ones to do it that felt like it was missing uh, it felt like the, the rationality had all left in, in an effort to pursue innovation. And the thing is, you need that. You, you, you need to be able to say, we're going to spend because we're going to innovate and we have to spend in order to compete, especially when you have a first mover like Netflix, uh, which is so far ahead of the competition and even to extend Amazon, which has the benefit of Prime and has been, has been here around forever as well. And I do think that if the market We're better. uh, There's an opportunity to say, well, we can still borrow at, you know, 0% interest rate. and It's fine. And we can figure this out. But but when you when you're coming down to a place of you've got to refocus your priorities on paying your principal debt holders, um, and now you're working for debt holders, you're not working for your own innovation. That's when it gets really concerning because you are inevitably saying we can't focus on innovation because we have to focus on ensuring that we don't lose our place with the banks, that we are not in this, you know, never ending cycle of, of having to worry about these, the debt collectors. And I think Disney and Bob Iger you're coming out and saying like, we need to target $3 billion in cost cutting. We need to figure out a way to, to stop spending as much as we do. We need to find a better way to curate general entertainment content. We need to have a heavy look at Hulu and, and seeing what we're doing it is eerily similar to what Zazlav and Gunnar have been saying, which is like, we need to figure out how we're going to do it. And I think while this is kind of his redemption moment in many ways, I think it speaks to a big concern I have, which is in order to pursue the type of streaming reality that you need if you want to be a streaming first company there's still a lot of innovation left that needs to be done and I think we are entering a moment where there is just not a lot of room for a lot of these companies to pursue that because they're worried about their cash flow as they should be they have shareholders they they have to worry about that um and and if the market continues the way it is and the ad market continues falling the way it has I think you're going to see a lot of actions being taken in the next 48 um uh sorry like 36 months that will inevitably be done over in the next five mm. to six years. And and so I think it's a very interesting moment because the first wave of this quote quote unquote streaming wars have ended. We are now in the quote unquote churn wars. But it's you know, streaming's a long, long game, just like the way that cable television was a long, long game. And I, I think when we are inevitably placed in a moment where you have to worry about debt more than you can worry about innovation and global content and 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 how actually you build uh, fundamental bases around fans and around um, new technologies. I think you end up doing a lot of things that might feel short sighted, but necessary, inevitably necessary. Right. That you then have to reexamine in five, six years.
0: Yeah, I, I, I hear you struggling with giving Zaslav credit, and like uh, the way I take it is he came into Warner Brothers Discovery, the act of that deal led to the point where they ended up with a lot of debt. And right. he was taking over for Jason Kalar, who was given a first wave approach. That was his directive, was to build and grow HBO Max. And so he came in and put the brakes on. But part of the reason he put the brakes on is because his act, the act that brought him in brought in the huge amount of debt. And so while he's right in some ways... Um, it's also part of a function of just why he exists in this world is, is he got, he got brought into a situation where they had to cut, you know, regardless of what was going on because of the debt of that deal. So, and he of course had to change direction from Jason Kalar because that was a different world. That was literally, uh, you know, it was a different universe, different period of time when, uh, when Jason Kalar was, was doing what he was doing. So I don't know. Um, I want to shift gears because uh, we're just moving on to another topic. That's the same topic. These are like different. We're pivoting is what we're doing. We're just pivoting around. And the same thing is happening everywhere, but in different ways. So I want to talk about Paramount plus, uh, Paramount plus, plus Showtime plus, plus, (laughs) uh, another news in the last couple of weeks, they announced the, this, um, pivot, uh, with, uh, obviously. So Paramount global owns Paramount plus, uh, also owns Showtime and uh, basically owned up to the fact that it doesn't make sense to have two different products. And they're going to c- roll Showtime's already bundled with Paramount Plus, but they're going to roll Showtime in to Paramount Plus to the same app. It's going to be a premium tier inside of Paramount Plus, as well as they're going to rebrand the Showtime cable channel to be Paramount Plus uh with plus showtime paramount with showtime but that that's i mean come on that's not going to last basically showtime is being swallowed into paramount plus essentially but they're doing it in this way where it's not quite a bundle but it's a premium tier currently um you know paramount plus is five dollars with ads or ten dollars without and showtime showtime is an add-on um twelve dollars or fifteen dollars total if you add showtime on um and so the ten $10 $10 tier is currently Paramount Plus' premium tier. I guess I'm unclear whether they're adding another tier on top of it or whether they're taking their existing premium tier, rolling Showtime content into it, and presumably raising the price. Um, but regardless, uh, you know, Showtime is getting swallowed by Paramount Plus, which honestly, I don't have a lot of nostalgia for Showtime as a, as a product. And I don't... If you look at... When I look at this company kind of dispassionately, I have a hard time seeing why Showtime should exist separate from Paramount Plus. What do you think?
1: It shouldn't have existed. Like there, yeah. it's it, it, this was a long, long time coming. And my only assumption for what happened is they looked at the revenue Showtime was bringing in at from linear, and also Showtime had its own like direct to consumer. It wasn't like a platform. It's like you could just go in and buy Showtime and the way that like FX had. Uh, they had a version of this at some point too. Go in and do it. And I imagine they looked at it and were like, "Well, eventually, this is just not going to be worth." Anything yeah. and and finally they were like okay actually no this is just stronger for us if we bring it to Paramount Plus and we we just kill off the channel we kill yeah. off that that expense so great so more, maybe that's what more happened.
0: originals in the streaming service and presumably more content you can pull from the streaming service and put on your linear channel that's still bringing in money and like why would you not do that.
1: Right, so so they so they kill a bunch of stuff, and it makes a ton of sense. And, and what's more interesting to me about Paramount Plus with Showtime, other than these terrible with names that they just, to your point, have to stop doing, uh, is they are getting rid of a bunch of Showtime content that uh, they said didn't perform super well. Um, which I I don't disbelieve, but also it's very funny because some of that content was on for like a month. And you're like, well, I, I mean, I didn't really get a chance, but, but sure. Um, and they're kind of replacing it with these huge franchise strategies, right? So they're going to do like a spinoff, a prequel to Dexter, which follows Dexter New Blood, which was really popular for them. They're doing like four spinoffs of billions called Millions and Trillions, uh, which sure. are terrible names, but sure. And it kind of follows the Yellowstone.
0: Uh, 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 format yeah we got the the, we got the young Dexter we got the Dexter connected universe we got the billions connected universe can I stop you here to just pitch some other things on Showtime this is a bit so I'm gonna do this okay shameless two, shameful Uh, there's no place like homeland uh, that, that could be a prequel. I don't know. Even younger yellow jackets, just, you know, just keep, uh, flashing further back. Uh, uh, Penny Dreadful. You like that? Nickel Dreadful. Just, it's right there on the sidewalk. Pick it up. Uh, the Tudors 2, the Stuarts. I mean, it's right there. Um, Dead Like Me, Dead Like You. Uh, that was a little aggressive, but that's what I've got. Uh, Weeds 2, Legalized. Sure. Uh, episodes of the reunion, obviously, uh, mm-hmm. Ray Donovan, are you still here? Because I like to think of Ray Donovan as the show that just stayed on the air and nobody realized it. So yes. What if it came back Would people even know, uh, uh, masters of sex, follow up amateurs of sex, obviously. And nurse Jackie will be Dr. Jackie. And we'll just everything and everything in Showtime in the future, just to, you know, make it a connected universe franchise. Why not just do it? The, the Showtime uh, franchise monster can just crank we, up. Okay. We got to get you in a room with Chris McCarthy. Okay, I'm done. Those we're wasting my, your talent. Those are my showtime. I, I was like, what Showtime shows do I remember? Wait, we got we got. We're gonna. We're gonna. We're gonna clap. I was no, gonna make honestly. I was honestly. gonna make. I was gonna make Stargate in here too, because Stargate was believe it or not a Showtime show before it was a sci-fi network show. But that's a uh, that's an MGM. So I guess technically Amazon would have to do the or, Stargate or reboot. MGM plus uh, uh, a, uh-huh. a, a, a streaming service. I get ads for uh, during every
1: football game. and And I turn to Kevin, my partner, and I say, I work in this industry. I don't
0: understand how they are <laughs> no, approaching this. It is, the, but, it is the most baffling of the, um, yeah. Anyway, but, they're, but they're, I, they're I, productizing, I, they're, they're, they're franchising. They're going to, they're going to make everything a Yellowstone basically. Yeah,
1: and, and like, okay. And so here's my, here's my issue with this. Right. And I wrote about this in terms of actual, there was all these rumors that like Yellowstone was going to be canceled because Kevin Costner doesn't want to do it anymore. I keep hearing that he just wants to negotiate higher, which is good for him. I kind of love the idea of someone being like, "No, nah, I'm done. Like I'm tired. I don't want to work anymore. Like huge mood. but. uh so so the idea was like oh well once they have the spin off that they're going to do of of Yellowstone this like sequel or whatever they'll basically own all the, the the streaming rights outside of actual Yellowstone which will be on Peacock and they can kind of put everything on Paramount plus my argument with this is always as we've seen with Marvel phase 4 yeah, people aren't necessarily into the spin-off thing that you're gonna do. It's really hard to get them to be like, ah, I'm I'm interested in this, right? Like like the, certain things make a ton of sense. I'll give you an example, one of the best performing Showtime series in terms of demand <laughs> share-wise, that we saw on our end over at Parrot was the L Word, the new generation, the Generation Q. Right. And I was like, this makes, to me, makes a ton of sense. It's one of the only mainstream queer-focused TV shows that has a budget. And it's it follows up on all these popular characters uh within a community that has kind of loved this show for many, many years. Like, that, to me, I was like, that makes a ton of sense. Like, people would sign up for Showtime to have this and watch it. But, like the idea that someone in five years is going to be super into a show called like quadrillionaires and like this is the thing that's going to keep them and like they're all they're doing is watching the billions universe i just think it'd be like it honestly be like pitching a succession spinoff i think you could talk to almost anyone they'd be like i don't necessarily know if i want that like i'm good i have my show the only hope i have is that if the franchise thing works for them in terms of keeping a kind of relatively high level or not high but Decent level of subscriber engagement. So people are signing up for it. They're not churning because they have Paramount+. And you kind of hopefully see this as a premium add-on that it always should have been the way that HBO and FX are for Hulu and uh, HBO Max. I do hope that this the success of that, if it is successful, just leads to actual more original investment they're one of their biggest shows of last year was yellow jackets it's not tied to any ip right fx's biggest shows are not tied to any ip the the only exception i think is what we do in the shadows uh and so it's like the idea that they want to franchise stuff out sure like who doesn't but i really hope that they aren't just going to give up on new bets and it seems like they're not going to but also i don't know i just i have a really hard time believing that the billions audience really wants like four more shows about billionaires I just I don't think they want it.
0: They're gonna they're gonna give it a try, but yeah, I agree with you. It's uh, it's I was gonna make the L word joke, but I couldn't because they already fran- have franchised the hell out of the L word, so I couldn't yeah. even go there. Yeah. Um, well, I wish them luck, but I do think that fundamentally, uh, the idea that they they don't need two premium content generation engines for uh, Paramount Plus, uh, it makes sense, right? They they just don't they don't need to do that. So putting them together, they're they're going to be stronger, and I think that's a smart. Uh, move for them. Um, okay. Quickly moving on. Uh, you mentioned network Netflix pa- password sharing. I feel like we need to at least mention this because this story broke big. What happened is the rules from their trial with uh, in Chile, Peru and Costa Rica were posted accidentally to all countries and everybody freaked out and said, Oh, here it is. Netflix is going to crack down on password sharing everywhere, which is uh, we, we told you about the test in Chile, Peru and, and Costa Rica. Uh, last like last summer, yeah. <laughs> I feel yep. like so we already we already covered it, uh and you have been in the know, so I hope all of you dear listeners, when your friends freaked out about this, said, oh yeah, I heard about that last year, uh and then helped them through it, but it obviously is coming to the rest of the world in some form, although. Whether some of the details are different uh, and and obviously I think Netflix has probably learned a lot from being in Chile, Peru and Costa Rica, right? They've learned a lot about about what the issues are there. Um, obviously, as this came up again, I was thinking through the issues again and there are a bunch of them, um, you know, children off at of college is a big one. Um, are, they really, are you really going to make your kids go off for nine months and then come back home going to pay separately from their parents' account? That seems like an actually a fair kind of thing. You can even stay on your parents' health insurance until they're 25. So I wonder if there might be a carve-out of some kind there. It seems very silly. Um, there are people... My parents lived 11 years in a motorhome traveling around the country. Uh, how do you deal with a subscriber who doesn't have a fixed IP address and Wi-Fi network where they use Netflix? They're going to have to deal with that they're gonna it, they have to deal with a lot of support issues i was thinking about like somebody who has an ipad that they use to travel and watch videos when they're on the plane yeah. or uh wherever they are in a hotel room and you and they have this like 30-day validation and if you're not on your home network in 30 days it's like well what if they what if they forget to launch netflix before they go on their trip just so they, they can get in good with netflix and then they travel and they get to their they get to the plane or they get to their destination and they're like where, where the hell is my netflix and then they're on the phone and how do you validate and it's like that's going to that's gonna add cost and frustration to customers, is that worth it and then I would also say that the really technical people are going to find ways to get around it, they're going to put VPNs in their house or whatever that are going to be able to bypass or whatever anyway, there's a lot going on here and I think that the challenge for Netflix fundamentally is what what revenue are you going to gain yeah. because there is a lot of password sharing out there, they encouraged it at one point and, and what uh, trouble do you get and and where where does the value intersect? And so my hope is that when they start doing this, their rules are going to be a lot less, right? That they're what because what they really want is for adults who live on their own in different places to not share a Netflix account, right? Like that's yeah. what they want, and they want roommates who then aren't roommates anymore to have the portability, which they they did test and is very clever to export their profile and 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 go off on their own with their own Netflix account. And, right. and there are ways to do that, but they they do risk angering everybody and causing lots of pain and making people not want to keep Netflix if they push it too far. Right, and so so they
1: they, they use. Um, missed revenue a lot they keep saying we have a hundred million missed uh dot like million like dollars like no sorry hundred million users that we are missing out on and i always say it's potentially missed out on because to jason's point people don't necessarily aren't necessarily going to sign up uh people pirating has never been easier not that i'm condoning it but it's literally the easiest thing in the world to do yep. um Especially college kids who are high churn and return customers who can just go to a website and stream Netflix outside of Netflix. It's not a big deal for them at really high quality. Uh, and and I do think the, the bigger issue specifically with Netflix is that it's actually what Ted Sarandos said, right? It is, we need a Wednesday a week. You need a Wednesday a week, which is expensive in order to keep people subscribed. Because if there's a Wednesday a week, then they feel like it's a must-have service. Netflix hasn't been a must-have service for a couple of years, right? Like like you kind of look out and you're like, oh, I can have Hulu or I have HBO Max and I'm fine. I don't really need Netflix. And for the one or two shows that I want, maybe I sign up for a month or, or whatever. And that's the other thing is that Netflix is kind of Getting people to leave, leave the platform and hoping that they are long time subscribers, but they might just be monthly subscribers and they're gone for the year. And that's really complicated. And the lack of engagement across the board might affect ad revenue because that's what the advertisers really care about is how many, you know, hours are being streamed and that way we can put our, our advertising on it. What I will say is despite all of that and keeping in mind Jason's very good points. Like, yeah, it was very funny to me to watch people freak out because on the one hand, of course, people are allowed to freak out. Like, all of a sudden, this thing that they've been doing for years is being taken away and they have to figure it out and they're working with their parents, even if they're adults. I mean, my parents are on my plan, right? Like, I like so we have to figure that out. It's very, very frustrating. But it was funny to me because I was like, this was always going to happen. Like this, this was inevitably where it was going to go. As I've said on this podcast over and over again, which is really my mantra, Netflix could only have operated doing things that they operated doing because they acted from a place of near total monopoly. Like they could only do certain things because they were like, ah, it doesn't really matter. Like we're the only people. Now all of a sudden there's competition, slowdown is happening because saturation is happening. The market sucks. The foreign exchange sucks. Like all of these things mean that Netflix has to say, well, we, in order to you know, spend $18 billion on content, which is projected for this year. We actually do need to make more money. Uh, and, and in order to branch out into gaming and branch out into immersive experiences, we need to make more money. And so there's a hundred million potential missed customers that we can get money from. I do think it's interesting that they're doing it in Canada now, right? And they did it in Portugal and two other territories. And mm. before that, it was in Latin America. Like they'll come to the States last, like the, like America yeah. was the last place that they do this in because they're hyper aware of it. But also if, this experiment hadn't worked. They wouldn't have rolled it out more. Like they, they would just be like, okay, sure. we have to go back to the drawing board. So that said, it sucks. Cause to Jason's point, they have a very famous t- t- tweet from 2013 that was like, love is sharing a password. And now, right? Like and that gets dunked on every time news like this comes up yep. on Twitter. But I mean, we, we, we talk a lot on this podcast today. We've talked a lot about how the streaming future kind of looks like cable and like really difficult to, to to use cable that's not really yours outside yeah. of your house it's gotten a little bit easier in the last 10 years as the cable companies try to get you to stay but like that was always you move out they, you get cables.
0: they, they got to do something right they got right. they got to do they got to do something and i think the question is how draconian it is and how clever yes. they want to be cuz like i uh, so my daughter um and my son now uh who's a freshman in college like Every now and then some of our logins are, um, what is it? Is it the, is it the, I forget what it is. There's at least one service that we have that sends a two factor code basically yeah. uh, via text. And that is absolutely, that is what they're doing, right? What they're doing is saying, we're going to send a text to the one phone that is on our account. And if you don't have that, you can't log in. And yeah. you know what happens is I get a text from my kids and I get a text from a service. I forget what, maybe HBO Max. I don't know. And it says, it says, do you have the code for that the, you were just sent? And I send them the code and they log in. That's it, right? Like we yeah. just jump through the hoop. But But I... I get that it's there. I get that that there is an attempt to make it not so easy that you can literally be anywhere and share a password. And the challenge with them is that yeah, they gave it away for free, and now they kind of need to back us into a little stronger regime. I I think what everybody is worried about is like how draconian it's going to be. Because honestly, I think it's unreasonable for a streaming service to say that your kids at college need to be separate subscribers. It actually actually devalues a Netflix subscription. Now, maybe what they'll say is you need to be on this tier of Netflix in order to get another qualifying IP address or something. And that's okay, right? But, But I, you know, honestly... I would I would I would if my if my daughter who loves Netflix would have to have her own account, I would probably just cancel Netflix for me and let her take it and Ah. and spend my money on it. And I would just say goodbye. And I don't think they want that to happen either. So that that's the that's the challenge is like, how do you make the Netflix uh, package have value and be reasonable uh, while also recapturing the revenue from, you know, for adults who share a password, right? Like
1: and live in different
0: places. Just want to point out cuz my favorite thing to do on this podcast
1: is point out um things in Jason's notes. That'll be an- another ongoing segment. And because <laughs> I'm sick and I'm reading as we go, I Jason has like among the issues he's listed them and I read the note about his parents as people who are full time like time time travelers, travelers yes and I, was like, and I was like oh angry. yeah i guess that would be hard for time travel so i had yeah. a legitimate thought that was like yeah actually the time travelers. you know
0: the, the <laughs> one i didn't put in here is uh although somebody i saw on the internet brought it up which is people who have um, two homes have like a vacation home and i'm like on the one hand, I agree, if you have two ho- two homes, uh, you should probably not have to pay for two Netflix accounts. On the other hand, that's a real <laughs> tough argument to make because you, ha- you make enough money to have two homes. Maybe you could pay for Netflix twice uh anyway you should be for my netflix people with two homes (laughs) won't anybody think of the time travelers okay really quickly because we've been doing this a long time i want to at least touch base on peacock you wrote a piece on puck uh about peacock the 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 last week um during the recent earnings call comcast announced peacock surpassed 20 million customers in 2022 uh doubled its subscribers overall during a year as you wrote where netflix struggled to add a million in the same market minutes spent streaming on peacock increased by 145 percent year over year uh they they have live sports including the premier league right now which is really great but comcast has its own like revenue a comcast truck is also driving toward that cliff um i i I, I'm glad you wrote about this. I think it's interesting to think we, you know, Peacock is considered sort of one of the, the, the struggling uh, lesser streaming services, but clearly, on some metrics, it's doing a lot better than you might expect. That they are growing. Peacock it is growing as a service.
1: Yeah, I mean the thing about Peacock is it it doesn't have the same i mean here's the thing like yes they are going to miss 3 billion dollars and even though like like i like yeah, you sure. can point to all the issues and i talked to uh my friend Matt about this a lot like you can point to all these issues and say like it's a really difficult position for for NBC at the same time Comcast has the ability and the cash to kind of say well we'll float it for a while like we can see yeah. what we're going to come from this i think Comcast also the like the average revenue per user, per user for peacock is pretty good And the thing about it is like they've sold out with ads like they're they're in a really great place with what they're trying to do. And and they are seeing some meaningful subscription growth like they could raise their prices in a little bit because the sports are a really great place. It's just yeah, it's this double edged sword. It is like you kind of what Jason was saying earlier, all these companies are, are pushing the sword into the decline of linear which they rely on in hopes that as they push that sword and as subscribers leak out they'll catch them like they'll be like okay you're gonna come over here and the more that they bring those subscribers over the more value that they get the the goal is that well okay we can then increase our profit on streaming and we'll be fine the issue is that when you push the the sword into the cable bundle, the cable bundle is very socialistic. The cable bundle, the weakest people in that cable bundle are supported by the top performers in that cable bundle because the people have to be in the bundle. There, so so it's 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 been really great for everyone. Everyone has had really wide profit margins on it because everyone has kind of helped each other. It's it's very beautiful and poetic. And now all these companies are going, we're going to put the knife and we're going to twist the knife. And we're going to hope mm-hmm. that the customers that that are going to come out of that hole are the ones that will come to us and that we will maintain that relationship with. And then we don't have to support the weakest people in the bundle because we're the top performer. But if you lose a percentage of people who want to go somewhere else, because it's a cheaper alternative, like Peacock or Paramount Pluses, or they really only need one thing, let's like an Amazon Prime Video or Netflix, if you are Disney or, or Paramount, whoever it is, whoever you are, if your hope is that you're going to get 10 of those customers, and you end up only getting three of those customers, your entire thesis is wrong. And so this is kind of the moment they're in. They're kind of in this moment of like, oh, what we thought might happen is not actually going to happen. So we have to figure out ways that we can accelerate the decline of linear, while also ensuring that we offer those customers the best kind of alternative. That's where Peacock and Paramount Plus are really going to thrive, and especially and it's all based on sports. But the amount that you're paying on sports versus the amount that you're losing in linear versus the plus the amount that you're not making in streaming makes it a much more complicated, expensive bet. So it, it, it's it's just this this really really long double edge like saw like a, a against a tree trunk where you're trying to figure out which way it's going to fall. Um and it's it makes for a fun industry to analyze and an industry to kind of work in and support in many ways as I do in my role. Um and, and but it's also, you know, if you are an executive at one of these companies, very terrifying. Yeah, it's 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 trying to figure it out and uh and keeping your job but also making sure that you're not the reason that 50,000 people lose their jobs or that shareholders lose their money or that investors pull out in. Peacock is kind of a great example of how it can look really great for a streaming service and it can be in a really good position, but also why the business is fundamentally not in a great place in order to support that growth. So, yeah, yeah, it's kind of a a fun service to talk about.
0: My thought uh, after reading your piece was – we've been we've been going back and forth about because NBC Universal owns the remaining portion of Hulu and Disney owns the rest of it, and the question is like are they gonna are they going to uh, buy them out? It's a lot of money, but then again, they want kind of want to own all of Hulu uh, NBC Universal still got their piece. they want to they could get an infusion of cash. And after reading your piece, i I thought to myself, and I know this is just sort of a stray thought, but I thought to myself, I wonder if the right answer for Hulu. Is for Disney and Universal to actually agree to build it together and to put specific content in it? And I wonder if when I think about Peacock, I I think, would NBC Universal be better off owning half of Hulu and putting the contents of Peacock in it? (laughs) <laughs> and sharing it with Disney as much as it is I, I remember what I said earlier about taking your ball and going home and how we're not doing that now we're, we're having this bigger thing I wonder I wonder if it might be might make sense from some angle and might be possible that the actual answer for Hulu is to go back to something sort of like an earlier idea of Hulu, which is that it's a place where competitors put certain kinds of content in order to reach a specific audience and then they can market it and bundle it together with their respective products. Um, there are a lot of reasons for this not to happen, but I keep thinking about it because I keep thinking about how hard it is to make the case for that. Disney to spend a huge amount of money on Hulu and also for them to sell Hulu. So this is a third path, which is, what if universal came to disney and said we're going to we we will shut down peacock and put it in hulu um and and in return we we want to you know we want to actually buy in a little bit and be your equal partner on hulu and we'll make this a a clearly delineated product from what you're doing with disney plus which
1: is what hulu was always supposed to be like i agree with you it's it's just funny to me because i'm 100% in agreement and i'm like this is what Hulu was. Hulu was like everyone's in a little bit. It has all their content, so it's actually a, a a decent alternative to Netflix and you invest a little bit more in original content for the platform specifically and then you find a way to actually compete with Netflix by taking out a lot of that content cuz you'll grow your subscribe I don't disagree with it and I think we're too far gone at this point, which is why it's really upsetting. I think yeah. I think and, and by far gone, Michael Nathanson has a really great um note that he uses a lot where he talks about these executives and he's like uh honest he's like i like this person because they're honest or whatever it means the way that they approach it and the term i use a lot with a lot of the executives is like you can't let your ego and stubbornness in your way of like actually making decisions that affect like like and, and i think unfortunately That's where we're at with a lot of these companies, and it's actually why I think Bob Iger is great right now for Disney. It's not because he's a great CEO, and he is, but I think it's because he's had time to reflect on being wrong about certain things, and he's had time to learn and talk to people that he can come in and be like, "We, I messed up there. Like, that doesn't work anymore, and we're going to do this, and we're going to try this instead. And I think that was what was not working for Chapek was he felt like he had to be the CEO on par with Iger, and he had to be stubborn the way that he approached right. it. And I think Iger left in 2020 because he was like, I'm not listening to my employees anymore. And I – I again, that's the issue. And now he's had time to kind of have this moment of humility and be like, I I was wrong about some of this stuff, and I want to go in and try to figure it out. So so we'll see, but I'm with you. I, 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 I think
0: there's alternatives. I would be more sp- – I would be more skeptical of this as a wild idea if I didn't know the fact that Bob Iger and Brian Roberts, who's the CEO of of uh, NBC Universal, um, they've got to talk because they, they talk share. All the time. They share Hulu, or he's CEO yeah. of Comcast actually, so the owner of NBC Universal. But they 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 have to talk. They're partners in Hulu at the very least. They have to talk about this many 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 billions of dollars that Disney has the right to buy out of Comcast. Meanwhile, Comcast is like, "We also would like Hulu. Maybe we should buy it from you." And it and it's not an impasse, but it is an ongoing negotiation. And that's the part that gives me this little flicker, which is why I came up with this idea, is is if they're talking, I wonder if what might emerge from their conversation is neither of Disney buys them out or Disney sells it off, but instead is a cuz we're in this new phase of the streaming wars now, a a thought about like maybe we could work together on this thing. Maybe we there is a a path here where you put in your NBC stuff and we put in our FX stuff, and we build a, a Hulu that we both benefit from, and we stand down in this area. And this is a better maybe we're better off not fighting on this and instead building a single service that ev- that that uh, adults are going to want to buy. I don't know, yeah. maybe not. You're right, there's a lot of pride involved. There's a lot it, it would be very difficult for any CEO to say we're going to walk away from Hulu and or Peacock, but I just I, I I don't know. It doesn't seem like there are a lot of good options on the table, and most of the there was a piece some people sent me that we didn't get to today. That was a piece where CNBC I want to say or it was Insider they they're talking to a bunch of people about what the what the next five or ten years yeah, of CNBC, CNBC, CNBC Sherman yeah, yeah uh of predictions for the future of TV and every one of them basically said you know peacock and paramount plus and like a bunch of these smaller uh, smaller services they're not gonna they're not gonna make it or they're gonna have to merge or something like that and you know if you are comcast and you're looking at this i don't know maybe maybe you say let's do something uh bold and maybe a bob iger is on the phone when you have that conversation i don't know i don't know just throwing it out there because um, I couldn't, I, I have not found a resolution of Hulu that makes sense to me, so I started looking in weird places. <laughs> no
1: one has. That's it's right? it's so funny. People argue with me all the time about Hulu, which is fair. That's what Twitter is is for. Uh, but it is so funny because I'm like, no one has figured out Hulu. It's it's it, no one. No. I wrote. I was looking for things. Um, I was researching things for a Hulu piece a couple weeks ago for Puck, and I came across a, a newsletter I I wrote in 2020, being like, well, what do we do with this Hulu situation? Situation. And, like, I found a piece from Lucas Shaw in, like, 2017, 2018 that was, like, what do you do with Hulu? And I was, like, we haven't known what to do with Hulu for longer than, like, yes. Hulu's been around. Yeah. Like, it's, it's like, no one knows what to do with this thing, and its value is all up in the air, and good luck to whoever figures right. out what to do with it, and like, I honestly.
0: I haven't even talked about Hulu Plus Live TV, which you mentioned earlier, which I would argue is like, uh, if not, I don't think it's a mistake, but I think think the Hulu branding is an enormous mistake. Um, and that said, Hulu, Hulu <laughs> only company, only streamer at Disney that actually writes in strong
1: revenue, uh, and yeah. and uh, is is growing substantial subscribers in the United States right? and Canada region. So yeah. there's an argument on behalf of it. It's just it's it's a whole. You could you it's could literally have. 24 hour sessions about Hulu. Like and and no one would have the answer.
0: Everybody would be confused at the end. Yeah. All right. Um, we are going to not have any letters this time, but that's okay. We want your letters. I got a bunch of great ones. We're probably going to have to do a letters uh, episode at some point, which is great. But, um, but we've been going for, for well over an hour now. So we're going to let Julia return to her life. Um, uh, so send us your feedback. We do appreciate it. Even if we didn't cover it today, downstreamfeedback.com. That's right. We just have a domain now. Downstreamfeedback.com will get it to us. Love to your mothers. You can, of course, find Director of Strategy Julia at Loudmouth Julia on Twitter and at parrotanalytics.com. You can find me at sixcolors.com. And I have many other podcasts at RelayFM and incomparable.com. And I'm in the RelayFM members Discord, which is a very nice place that you can support us uh, while doing it. If you like Relay.fm slash downstream, uh, Julia will be back in two weeks a little less than two weeks with special guest co-host live from the uk to talk about he's going to ask you all about why streaming is messed up in the uk Uh, mike hurley will be here sitting in for me because i'm going to be traveling but mike and julia will be back in two weeks until then julia thanks for being here i'll see you in a month
1: i'll see you later